Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have great guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the war on drugs and drug legalization Andrew Jopp is professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll visit with Andrew as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It is October the 7th, and on this day in 2003, actor Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected governor of California, the most populous state in the nation, with the world's fifth largest economy. Despite his inexperience, Schwarzenegger came out on top in the 11-week campaign to replace Gray Davis, who had earlier become the first United States governor to be recalled by the people since 1921. Schwarzenegger was one of the 135 candidates on the ballot, can you believe that? Which included career politicians, other actors, and one adult film star. (laughs) Born in Austria in 1947, Schwarzenegger began bodybuilding as a teenager. He won the first of four Mr. Universe bodybuilding championships at the age of 20 and moved to the United States in 1968. He also went on to win the then-record seven Mr. Olympia championships, securing his reputation as a bodybuilder legend, and soon began appearing in films. He first attracted mainstream public attention for the Golden Globe-winning performance in Stay Hungry in 1976 and his appearance in 1977 documentary Pumping Iron. At the same time, he was working on a B.A. at the University of Wisconsin, from which he graduated in 1979. His film career took off after he starred in 1982's Conan the Barbarian and in 1983 he became a U.S. citizen. The next year he made his most famous film, The Terminator, directed by James Cameron. Although his acting talent is probably aptly described as limited, he went on to become one of the most sought-after action film stars of the 1980s and early 90s enjoying an extremely lucrative career. The actor's romantic life also captured the attention of the American public. He married television journalist and lifelong Democrat Maria Shriver, niece of the late President John F. Kennedy in 1986. With his film career beginning to stagnate, he launched a supporter of the Republican Party who had long been thought to harbor political aspirations. He announced his candidacy for governor of California during his appearance on The Tonight Show with uh, Jay Leno. Aside from his well-known stint serving as chairman of the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports under President George H.W. Bush, he also had uh, little political experience. His campaign, which featured his use of myriad one-liners well-known from his movie career, was dogged by criticism for his use of anabolic steroids, as well as allegations of sexual misconduct and racism. Still, Schwarzenegger was able to parlay his celebrity into a winning, uh, appealing to weary California voters with talk of reform. He beat his closest challenger and the Democrat Lieutenant Governor Chris uh, Cruz Bustamante, by more than one million votes. Well, celebrity certainly has its influence in America, doesn't it? It reminds me of Hulk Hogan winning the election to become governor of Minnesota at the time. I worked for a company that was located in Minneapolis. Couldn't find one person there that voted for Hulk Hogan, but he got the majority of votes. Of course, it served our President Donald Trump as well also. Well, there are 41 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Tuesday. The seven-day average of new cases is 33, which is lower than the number of cases on the first day of school. The numbers continue to decrease in spite of about 26,800 Cuyahoga County school students, or 62% of the students enrolled in the campus learning at brick-and-mortar schools in Collier County. There's 15,000, or 35%, who are enrolled in Classroom Connect in the high school flexible model. That according to the district's first, months, first month of enrollment numbers. So school's in, and the numbers aren't going up in Collier County. We hope that will increase. Although... Naples Mayor Teresa Heitman has tested positive for COVID-19. She said, I'm working at home in uh, 
I'm tired, but I have mild symptoms, she said. Her daughter tested positive for the virus on Thursday, October the 1st, and she tested negative that same day, but the next day on Monday she tested positive. Uh, so the mayor has been quarantined at her home in Naples since Thursday. The Naples City Council meets uh, tomorrow, or actually today at 8.30 a.m. She'll be zooming in, but she won't be running the meeting. I will look forward to comments from Bill Barnett, the former mayor of Naples, his commentary uh, tomorrow morning. Well, President Trump's physician, Dr. Sean Conley, announced uh, Tuesday afternoon that the president reports no symptoms of the, no, of the coronavirus after doctors discharged him from Walter Reed National Military Center the previous evening. Meanwhile, White House physician Jesse Shonu said that Vice President Pence continues to test negative for the virus and does not need to quarantine. So he'll be at Salt Lake City. He'll be at the uh, debate tonight. Uh, with the vice presidential candidate uh, from the Democrat Party. I still admire the tweet that the president sent out that when, uh, upon his release from Walter Reed Medical Center. He said that, I'm feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. Man, that's just great leadership. He's encouraging us not to be fearful, but to take on life challenges and uh, be careful, but uh, be willing also to live your life. Biden, on the other hand, is peddling fear in the name of science. Once COVID-19 blows over, he'll be a pandemic of fear based on climate change. Fear is the new fulcrum for attaining power for the left. Don't be mistaken. He could care less about your health, in my opinion, what he cares about. And what the party cares about is power. While a coalition of voters, uh, voters' rights groups filed a lawsuit in federal court in Tallahassee demanding potential voters to be given one more time to register after Florida's voter registration website crashed because of an unprecedented volume of requests, Secretary of State Laurel Lee extended the deadline to Tuesday p.m. at 7 p.m., uh, so eligible voters had a chance to uh, register for the November election. Uh, the lawsuits were demanding to have more time, maybe taking it into Wednesday. But we also had a problem here in Collier County, and uh, apparently that problem has been resolved also. But again, left trying to extend the number of days that people can register as well as counting the votes. Well, Game 2 of the NBA Finals on Friday was reportedly the least-watched NBA Finals game on record. Uh, Kickout or OutKick, reported that the game averaged 4.5 million viewers who tuned in to see the Los Angeles Lakers face the Miami Heat, which is a 68% dip from last year's Game 2. The new news comes after Games 1 was also a, a kind of a train wreck. A ship doesn't sink for one reason, but undoubtedly politics sits atop the historical tank. The outlet said, after nearly two decades of reinventing the NBA discussion, LeBron is now a detriment to the league's brand. I totally go along with that. I think it's really a shame that professional sports has taken the turn towards uh, politicizing what's going on. And uh, the consequence is they're paying the price for that. These athletes are going to discover they're ruining their own game, which is really tragic. They're the best athletes in the world. They're based on the positions that they hold in the NBA, the Major League Baseball, and other professional outlets, but they're going to destroy the game. They're going to lose people who support them by taking political stands. President Trump on Tuesday, uh, now he tweeted that he uh, has fully authorized total declassification of any and all documents pertaining to the FBI's investigation into the Trump campaign and Hillary Clinton's private email server. He said, I've fully authorized the total declassification of any and all documents pertaining to a single greatest political crime in American history. And that's the Russian hoax. Likewise, Hillary Clinton's email scandal, no redactions, Trump tweeted. Trump's tweet was in response to a tweet by Real Clear Investigations journalist Paul Sperry, who had tweeted earlier, when all the documents are finally declassified and all the redactions are removed from the reports, the nation will see that the FBI and CIA not only knew that Russia collusion allegations against Trump were a political dirty trick, but they were in, uh, in on the trick. Sperry's tweet came after Director of National Security Intelligence 
John Ratcliffe declassified handwritten notes from the then-CIA director John Brennan after briefing then-President Barack Obama on an alleged plot by Clinton to distract the public from her use of a private email server by tying the Trump campaign to Russian hack uh, of Democrat National Committee emails. Former acting DNI Richard Grinnell, Director of National Intelligence, Richard Grinnell, tweeted that the declassification documents were proof that Obama and then Vice President Joe Biden directed their administration to use the powers of government to attack Trump's campaign and then tra- and then transition. The Susan Rice emails to herself after the Oval Office meeting were part of the cover-up, you may recall. He tweeted in reference to the night January 24th, 2017 email, Rice emailed herself about a January 5th meeting in the Oval Office. Uh, While uh, House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany tweeted, Crooked Hillary denied our country a peaceful transition of power. She concocted the Russian hoax. Brennan briefed Obama on Clinton's plan to tie Donald Trump to Russia as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. Hopefully now we're going to start, uh, I wish Trump had actually done this two years ago, but irrespective, maybe justice will finally be served and maybe uh, Clinton held to account for her dirty tricks and what she's done. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Uh, company. You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, constitutional co- scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and now building a wonderful new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, and as I mentioned before the break, he's a constitutional scholar, he's an author, he's written several books, and uh, he's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. 
We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. www.catocato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. And, uh, you know, the whole issue of drug legalization and the war on drugs, it's a very confusing area right now. Of course, uh, as a nation, we're focused on other things. But irrespective of this, uh, we've... (laughs) Got a situation where uh, it's still illegal to uh, have to have illegal drugs in in the United States, and yet many states are overturning that, and uh, the government seems to be turning its back. So let's see if we can clarify that. Is there a constitutional argument that we have a right to smoke marijuana? Um, that's confusing as well. <laughs> consider consider two different uh, cases. One was called Race versus Gonzalez, and uh, a sick person claimed that she had a fundamental right to use medical marijuana in California, where it was, and still is, it was legal, and she had a doctor's order. So that went to the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals said, you know, this is about the right to use marijuana for medical purposes, and that's not a fundamental right, because medical marijuana isn't required, and these are the definitions of a fundamental right, isn't required for ordered liberty nor is it deeply rooted in our traditions. So Raish had argued that it was about her liberty to pursue a less painful life, but the court didn't accept that. She would have won if the court had accepted that. Hmm. But for contrast, there was this Texas case, Lawrence v. Texas. The Supreme Court overturned a state regulation that criminalized the homosexual sodomy. And the reason the state lost was because the the court characterized the, the regulation as very broadly, barring a relationship within the liberty of persons to be to, to choose. So if the court had said in that case that it was about gay sex, then the right wouldn't have been you know, deemed fundamental, not deeply rooted in their traditions, not required for ordered liberty. So, of course, you ask yourself which characterization is correct, and in a sense, they're both right. You know, and it depends on how, whether you want to define it broadly or narrowly. And the, the court can rule how it wishes based simply on its description of the right. So we don't really know whether there's a constitutional right to smoke marijuana so far. No court has recognized So that's so interesting. So is there a constitutional authority for the feds to regulate marijuana? Now this gets uh, a different, slightly different issue under the Commerce Clause. So the the real issue in in that same case, Race versus versus, uh, Gonzalez, was not not the medical effectiveness of, of marijuana, but rather the limits on the federal power to regulate interstate commerce. Originally, the Commerce Clause was intended to stop the states from interfering with free trade, as they had done under the Articles of Confederation. You know, one state would impose tariffs or quotas on commerce coming across the border. But in the Raich versus Gonzalez case, Justice Stevens uh, held, and it was a 6-3 decision, that the Controlled Substance Act, the federal act regulating drugs, is a legitimate exercise of the Commerce Clause. Mm-hmm. Why? Because six patients, uh, sick patients in California, even though it was legal there, they used homegrown marijuana under a doctor's prescription, and in so doing, said Justice Stevens, that might have a substantial effect on the interstate marijuana market. Now, bear in mind that that's a market that's not supposed to exist, right? right. It's, Ill- <laughs> it's illegal under federal law. And there's, if it does exist, there's a criminal remedy for it if it exists. So to argue that this was an exercise of Commerce Clause, I think, was a mistake. But nonetheless, that's what the court held. So back to the, the original premise here of the discussion now, does the Fed criminalization of marijuana and of drugs trump state legislation? Again, it's a very complicated issue. You know, there was a case in 1992, New York versus uh, U.S. Congress cannot, under that case, order the state legislature to enact state regulations. And then there was also the background gun case, Prince versus the United States. Congress cannot commandeer state law enforcement officials to do background tests on handgun purchasers. So the states, they can cooperate, but they have to do so voluntarily. Mm. And then, of course, there was the famous or infamous, 
depending on your point of view, Obamacare case, Congress cannot force the states to carry out a federal Medicaid program. The states have to say yay or nay on their own volition. So if Congress were to command the states to ban ban medical marijuana, that would violate the rule of this New York versus United States and the rule of the Obamacare decision. Congress cannot command the states to ban uh, marijuana. So interesting. Here in Florida, we have medical marijuana, and uh, because I have some pain in my back, I applied for a medical marijuana card and got it. I have no interest in getting high or any of that nonsense, and I quite frankly didn't find <laughs> find any of it helpful, so I dropped the card and, and uh uh, the whole issue, but uh, some states are just try, just trying to figure out how to do this legally under federal law. It's so interesting. Yeah, and interesting that in some states, if you had tried to uh, avail yourself of medical marijuana, you would be violating both state law in some cases, and you in every uh, state, you would be violating federal law. Yeah. So why are you not arrested for violating federal law if you do so in Florida, even though it's legal in Florida? The reason is that the feds simply don't have the resources to be monitoring all of this stuff. There's so many other things that are much more important for the feds to be doing. And the court held that the feds can't tell the states that they have to um, uh, enforce federal law. The, the feds can enforce federal law, and, and that would trump state law, but the feds have to do it themselves. They can't commandeer state yeah. law enforcement officials to put you in jail because you're violating federal law. So interesting. So tell us about the uh, Portugal experience. Well, this is now almost 20 years old. In 2001, they decriminalized all drugs. And that includes cocaine and heroin. Uh, They were the only EU country uh, to do that. And possession and use became administrative violations, not crimes. Trafficking was still a crime, Mm -hmm. um, which I think was a mistake, because basically what that means is you have increased demand because you decriminalized the use of drugs, but you don't have any increase in the supply, and what that means is higher prices. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the whole idea behind decriminalization is to get the prices lower so that you drive out the criminal element. But nonetheless, that's what they did. And decriminalization was very popular and remains uh, very popular in uh, Portugal. And since they legalized um, Drug use has declined across all age groups, and overdose deaths have plummeted um, to just about three per million adults, and that's the second lowest in the EU. Interestingly, by comparison, the U.S. rate of overdose deaths is a staggering 185 per million. Portugal's is three Mm. per million. And Portugal's drug-related HIV infections um, were almost eliminated. They fell 94% <laughs> since legalization. And the number of people arrested uh, for criminal drug offenses has declined over 60%, um, which has allowed Portugal to take the money that they were using for uh, drug prosecutions and channel it toward uh, more effective uh, drug drug treatment. So I'd say it's been a resounding uh, success in Portugal, and it's uh, it's a lesson for us to learn. It does not appear that we are about to learn that lesson. But no. We are in some states, but we're not. The federal government doesn't seem to be moving in that direction. Nor does it uh, seem to be even paying attention. It's so, so interesting. I had the, one of the uh, the largest, uh, uh, i to say, uh, purveyor of uh, marijuana and cocaine in the United States. He was arrested and put in jail. And he finally was released, uh, but he, he told me on air, it was such an interesting conversation, he told me on air that uh, you could buy cocaine at Montgomery Ward uh, on, in the catalog uh, before it was illegal, before it was turned uh, illegal, and uh, the drug dependency or, 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 uh, was about 4% in the United States, and <laughs> it's about 4% now after all this, so it doesn't seem to have a big effect on, on what our society is doing. Yeah, not only that, when you drive uh, consumption into the black market, you run the risk of uh, adulterated drugs. And, of course, that's at the root of this uh, opioid problem, is that uh, people think they're taking a certain dose of a certain 
drug, and it turns out to be something much more powerful than he anticipated. And yeah. The dosage ends up doing them grievous harm. Yeah, absolutely. I want to continue the conversation, Bob. I hope you can pick up where we're leaving off here today, next week. Just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Again, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Rue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, I mean, a lot of things going on right now. I, I haven't seen the velocity of the news is just amazing right now. Tonight, we have the vice presidential debate. I just want to get any comments you might have and commentary about past and current debates. Well, in terms of the debates, I think they're useless. Um, I, I see no purpose in them. Uh, if a debate should be somehow revealing of, of reality, uh, I find them just the opposite. Uh, they tend to interfere with reality, and when you look at the wild card always in these debates, that's the moderator you certainly have. Uh, at this point, that is all tilted to the left. Uh, Chris Wallace, uh, all people, uh, all conservatives recognize that Chris Wallace has consistently been to the left. Uh, in the next presidential debate, it's going to be Steve Scully, again, who had a internship with Biden and has been a consistent uh, never-Trumper. So uh, my basic premise on the debates is uh, they, they serve the, the opposite purpose for which they're intended. They obfuscate reality instead of clarifying it. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much what the news cycle, <laughs> what's happening with the mainstream media as well. So let's move to the Democrat platform right now. I mean, uh, there it's, uh, I think it's pretty clear what the Trump platform is. You know, have uh, border security, have uh, uh, the rule of law, and you can go right down the list. What, what, what do you think the Democrat platform is? 
Well, there's there's a game being played, I think, by the by the Democrats, and uh, it is the Democrat platform uh, certainly throws raw meat to all of the uh, the fanatics following the uh, the leftist ideas. Uh, on the other hand, Joe Biden consistently tries to separate himself. So, no matter what point is brought up, they can either say that. Uh, the the platform supports the the radical ideas, or if they're looking for a more moderate position, you have Joe Biden suggesting something less than that. Uh, just to highlight some of the uh, some of the points in the platform, it's a 92 page document, Bob. Uh, it, it calls for the immediate citizenship for illegals. Immediate. Uh, just to, to highlight, that's on page 63. Free college on page 65. Forgiveness of all student loans, page 71. Eliminate border walls and immigration enforcement, 62, 64, and 65. $70 trillion committed to the Green New Deal. Create a new federal agency of 100,000 people to trace every American. I have no idea what that might suggest, Bob. Mm. Uh, make gun manufacturers responsible and liable for how their guns uh, are used. That would, of course, destroy the, the gun manufacturing industry. Uh, those are just uh, some extracts. There are certainly many more. But even within those that I cited, Bob, we can see how, how radicalized and far to the left their platform is. And yet, yet Joe Biden, who during the first debate declared himself to be the, uh, the Democrat Party leader, uh, seems to want to separate himself from that platform position. Uh, obviously, uh, in my estimation, Bob, obviously, uh, the platform will be the dominant themes of a Biden administration if that were to come to pass. Yeah, he's kind of a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, is he not? I mean, he's just uh, out there trying to obfuscate, or uh, to use your word, to obfuscate the, the the reality of what they're trying to promote. Uh, they're trying to he's trying to play towards the middle. He's trying to say that, hey, you know what? It's, we've got these white supremacists who are creating all the problems here in the United States, as opposed to the reality of what's going on with Antifa, Black Lives Matter. Uh, again, just unbelievable. If we get back to the debate, so you at this point we're giving Joe Biden a platform uh, for his distortions of, of that reality. The perhaps the only platform where you'll have a huge number of Americans watching in what is theoretically a neutral environment. And Joe Biden, who consistently, in my estimation, lied during the first debate, will once again be able to feed these uh, these pieces of pablum to the, the gullible American public. If they read the Democrat platform, I think that's all they have to do to know uh, what will be happening to America if a Biden administration was to, uh, to be elected. You know, I, I listened to the president when he got out of the hospital. He made a comment that... Uh, you know, he, he says we have nothing to fear. We have no concern. We should have no concerns about uh, about COVID-19. This after he recovers and comes out of the hospital. Don't let fear dominate your life. On the other hand, I think Biden, as I mentioned earlier in the show, his, his main approach is, hey, listen, uh, you, you need to be, take care. If the scientists say that uh, you need to be wearing masks, we're going to shut down the economy if, if, in fact, they suggest that that's the right thing to do for our health. And you know what? After this is all over, I really believe there's going to be a pandemic of fear on climate change. They're using fear as a, as a fulcrum for uh, their political power. It, it's always been that, whether it's the, the loss of Social Security or the, the loss of Medicare or wh whatever it might be at the moment, including Paul Ryan pushing an old woman off a cliff. You know, so obviously this has been the essential nature of, of how the Democrats function. If we look even right now at the stimulus bill, which has been uh, shut down by President, uh, President Trump, and a, a very courageous move because yeah. he knows that the headline will be Trump stops stimulus package. And, of course, he's doing it because of the, uh, the amount of funds that would be dedicated to the blue states to help these poorly run blue states uh, save themselves from themselves. So uh, he's done that. He's also said that he would be more than willing to immediately sign a $1,200 check going to every American and $25 billion to the payroll uh, program of the airline industry, another $125 billion to the, uh, the small business uh, payroll protection program. So he's more than willing to invest in those stimulus areas that would be beneficial, but he refuses, and I think quite appropriately, uh, to, to set aside or uh, contribute federal funds to the staving of these Democrat states that have been poorly run and are crime-ridden, Bob. I would agree with that, Andy. Hey, we got so many other things to talk about. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Ah! 
stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Andy, thank you again so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So our governor, in anticipation of the violence he's seeing in other states, has uh, passed or the Law Enforcement Protection Act. Uh, uh, I don't know that he's passed it, but he's uh, declared it as a policy. What are your thoughts? Well, it's uh, proposed legislation, I think, at this point, Bob, as far right. as I understand it. That's right. Uh, it's full laborious title is, is Combating Violence Disorder and Looting and Law Enforcement Protection Act. And it does exactly that. I'm surprised at how little press this is uh, is getting. It would certainly serve as a as a paradigm uh, as to how all the states should uh, should be functioning at this point. Just to mention some of the provisions, uh, it would prohibit violent or disorderly assemblies. That would include a third degree felony charge, a prohibition on obstructing roadways. Again, a third degree felony charge, prohibition on destroying or toppling monuments a second-degree felony, and this is one that I think is interesting, prohibition on harassment in public accommodations, a first-degree meaner, but a crime nevertheless, Mm -hmm. a RICO liability attaches to anyone who organizes or funds this. Uh, These would include mandatory minimum jail sentences for striking a law enforcement uh, officer, including with a projectile. Uh, So, uh, let me see what else I can quickly. Uh, no defund the police permitted in Florida. Uh, victim compensation would be included. So it, it's a very comprehensive piece of legislation that deals exactly with the problems we're seeing now. Uh, it tries to, re- to establish, or let's say reestablish in some states, some degree of law and order. Uh, and I think Governor DeSantis, and I think we have to be eternally grateful here in Florida that, that DeSantis won the, uh, the governor's chair and defeated Gillum. So uh, DeSantis is once again showing that his, uh, his mind is, is straight that he understands the problem and is willing, willing to act on those problems. Bob. You know, you're absolutely right. The, the, the problem has been uh, that these funded, Soros-funded district attorneys, or the races they pour in, 
in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars into the race, where usually the, the amount of money that's raised in order to promote their candidacy is something like $10,000. Point being this, they get these people in the, in the office of district attorney who won't support the law, who won't enforce the law, who allow, for example, theft up to a certain level, release people with no bail. That's happening in Portland right now. And you see we're, we're what, into 110, 120 days of violence up there. <laughs> and the new candidate for governor is an Antifa person. I mean, uh, I don't know what they're thinking up there, but I hope to goodness that we can keep th these types of district attorneys out of Florida. Well, uh, so far, I, I regard Florida as an oasis in the in the American desert. Yeah. Uh, I think we, in terms of our, our senators, uh, Scott and, and Rubio, our fine governor DeSantis, we are an unusual oasis in the, in the midst of this chaos. And I think we in Florida have to be grateful for the uh, fortuitous nature of our political uh, end result here, Bob. I couldn't agree more. Hey, you wrote a column back, I think it was 1916, or 2016, how the left taught me to love Trump. Can you comment on that? Well, at that point, that was April nineteen. Uh, let's see, April uh, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, I'm losing track here. I'm old, Bob. Um, <laughs> if you want to get into that, I, let me just mention a, a statistic which is sort of worrisome to me. It's called the uh, the Gray Revolt. The New York Times called it the Gray Revolt. Uh, and the statistics in terms of voters sixty five and older, the CNN poll now uh, shows a sixty to thirty nine lead for Biden among voters 65 and older, likely voters. Uh, even the Wall Street Journal NBC poll uh, gives Biden a 27-point lead in that same age category. Uh, that is particularly worrisome because that was uh, President Trump's strongest demographic during the 2016 presidential campaign. So uh, that is a worrisome figure. I, uh, I don't know how much weight to give it, but certainly those numbers suggest that there is a significant problem there for the president. Yeah. Uh, getting back to um, the uh, 2016, how the Democrats taught me to love Trump, at that point I was a Cruz supporter. Uh, I thought Cruz, as a, uh, a strong constitutionalist, would have made a fine president. I, I still think that Cruz would make a fine president. But at that point I, I saw all of these incredible uh, leftist positions that were being taken. And there was only one person... Uh, in the in the primary campaign process that was actively willing to challenge those things to challenge these delusions of the left and that was that was Donald Trump so it was at that point in April of 2016 because of the absurdity of the democrat positions being taken and then subsequently the hatred being thrown at Trump because of his resistance to these things that suddenly made me start to lean to Trump in April of 2016 and by around July earlier than that let's say um, uh, June I, I have become a fervent uh, Donald Trump supporter and have been so ever since for exactly the same reasons Bob yeah absolutely and you know I remember when Laura Ingram it was asked the question point blank, uh, who's going to win the election? And she said, Donald Trump. And they, they just laughed. They, they said, that is absurd. What are you thinking? And I, I just remember sitting her sitting there smiling. She knew what you knew, Andy. And I mean, basically, it's been a fight against the, so the swamp. He's trying to clear the swamp. But just as a minor correction, because I never get a chance to correct you, but I think that was Ann Coulter. Oh, you know what? You're right. I apologize for that. That you're absolutely right. I stand corrected. Hey, I don't want to pull a candy crowley on you where I correct you and I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, irrespective, I mean, he's uh, again just shown that he's a great leader, and it's, uh, and against so much opposition, it's just you know I hate to think it's, what it's, would happen. Mind-boggling what this man has been able to uh, stand up to, uh, maintain his, uh, his his focus, maintain his energy. Uh, just absolutely incredible. This is, uh, in my estimation, Bob, one of the great political figures, not just in American history, but in world history. Uh, I'm, I'm dubious that, that historians will write it that way, but certainly I think that is what Donald Trump, at this point and beyond, hopefully, will be entitled to. No, you know, I, I, I think 
uh, once he's done, and hopefully it'll be in t- uh, 2024, once he's done with his presidency, I, I think he'll probably be shunned. I don't think he'll be invited to state dinners. I mean, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the establishment will continue on as it's going right now. I think what he's buying us is perhaps another 50 years of our republic, and I think that's how important he is. Oh, there's, there's no doubt about it. When I first heard that he came down with COVID-19, I, I will admit that I got misty-eyed, Bob. This, yep. was a, this is a, uh, a, a dramatic uh, moment in our history, and Donald Trump has, has meant so much to this country uh, that unlike anyone else I can name. So I actually became emotionally distracted when I found out that Donald Trump was ill with COVID-19. I agree. It was very disturbing for me, and I said, oh, my goodness, I just began to think about what happens if we lose him now. What happens if he's incapacitated for a long period of time? Uh, just the thought about that. At this point in time, before the election, was uh, scary indeed. Now, uh, you know, the polls are suggesting that he's lost traction in the campaign. I think he truly understands these, these polls, I don't believe, are accurate. I don't know that. But uh, I just believe that uh, the, the polls are, are created by people who want Biden to win, and they're pr- creating information to discourage Trump voters. Well, there's no doubt. And the yardstick we can probably use as the best one would be the polls uh, back in 2016. I think cer- uh, circumstances have certainly changed a bit since then. But nevertheless, we know if there is going to be a poll number produced, it will have an intent in other words, it is not just an objective, neutral number that's being generated. There is an intent to that number, and as you suggest, Bob, uh, it is to discourage Trump voters. And I, I, I do not think we'll be discouraged. Uh, of course, I have to return to the comments I made earlier about the Gray Revolt. I, I have no idea why people in the 65 uh, age category and older would be moving away from Trump. Uh, I find the numbers suspect, but they're so big, Bob, that I, I, I can't ignore them at this point. Yeah, uh, well, I can't imagine people 65 and older uh, wanting to break uh, with law and order. I think that would be important to them. So I, I really have serious questions about their, the poll that you're referencing. Andy, I always appreciate your commentary on the show. I do want to reference your book, Josephus of Oz, off topic for today's discussion, but it's a great read, Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Someday we'll have to do a full hour, Bob. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We'll do that, Andy. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. And he's also the author of his latest book, How Everything Happened, Including Us. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author, I think it's a total of about seven books right now that he's written. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us. 
Well, Bob, it's always a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Thank you. I also point out that uh, Professor Bell writes at least one column a week for Newsmax.com. His column is on point. And your latest is so fascinating, Neo-Marxist Critical Race Theory Stokes Toxic Division. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, this is a subject that uh, I've been concerned about and writing about, and I think others have as well, that this notion that, um, you know, we are, you know, we're, we're bad racist, systemically racist country and, and, uh, you know, that it's in the white, you know, the white supremacists are controlling things and, and so on. I've got an article that's coming out this morning about how, how this has kind of invaded the schools and it's, it's, it's Marxist based and so on and it's sort of the, it's also the foundation for, the 1619 Project, uh, which I've been writing about, and people have been hearing more and more about that, uh, you know, again, this, this notion of systemic racism and rewriting that, you know, that our American history was founded on on the, the eternal blight of slavery and we'll never get over it. And and uh, it's, it's just really a very destructive uh, philosophy. It's, it's certainly not one that encourages... Uh, or inspires uh, either patriotism or achievement. Oh, in fact, it and, does exactly yeah. the opposite, Professor. Here was a shocking thing, and I saw, this is a minor point in the in the column, but you point out that the, according to McKinsey and Company, this is collectively they spend $8 billion for these services annually in governments and around the nation and corporations. And basically, the well, I'm going to let you tell us about what the message is to people who attend uh, these seminars. Yeah, well, President Trump uh, uh, issued an executive order that said that these training sessions, we have these inclusion uh, organizations now, almost every corporation and so on, that, you know, for sensitivity of racial issues and so on. So, so it's, you know, huge, huge investment in this, but then they hire consultants, and the consultants are kind of, kind of a, you know, pushing grievance kinds of issues, and and uh, and these these some of these programs are being issued, you know, offered particularly to white guys, white fellows who are who are particularly in management positions, and they have these training classes like the one they have at I think at, at Sandia and Lawrence Livermore and others where. They attend these classes and and are told that uh, they must confess their crimes of systemic racism and white privilege and so on and apologize and it's it's really demeaning, destructive, and Trump banned uh, using you know federal money to pay these consultants to basically propagandize. Uh, Government, government employees, including military. Yeah, and uh, he, he was he was right in doing this. It's a it's a big grievance industry, and and it's and it's and it's also again through sixteen nineteen project is infested our schools for K through twelve, and of course we see it in, in colleges and universities as well. So it's it's, it's a very very counterproductive, destructive, and uh, you know, and it's it's divisive in terms of pitting groups against each other. When it's you know sexual preference and it's it's race and it's 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 every kind of um, uh, division that you can construct to to uh, you know to again divide people. Yeah, and it's it's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, it it gets back to identity politics, which is basically going full circle right back to the Democrat platform right now. And you point out in your column, Saul Alinsky are reminding us in his Rules for Radicals that the organizers must first rub raw the resentments of the people of the community. Uh, they must fan the, the latent hostilities of many of the people to the point of overt expression. I mean, and I could go on here, but the point is that this is right out of the playbook for, uh, for uh, socialism and uh, overthrowing the government. Well, it is, and we're seeing so much of it, I think, play out in, in this election season where, 
where uh, you know we I, it to me is rather ironic that I hear Joe Biden, and I'm not a big fan of Joe Biden, of course, but I hear him talk about unity and so on, and 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 clearly he doesn't have a uh, uniting message at all. We see the uh, turmoil on the streets, and the, you know the the so-called mostly peaceful peaceful protests that are burning down, you know, blocks and blocks of urban areas and. New York and other locations, and not saying anything about this, and it's, you know, it's really fanning the flames of, of discontent and anger, and and it's 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 frightening, both in terms of its overall destruction, but the, I think the largest casualty is really our culture, mm-hmm. our society that tolerates this. And uh, I have an article coming out this morning on uh, that talks about how many millennial generations prefer uh, Marxism and, and socialism and communism over uh, capitalism. And uh, it's, it's really, and, and they, they prefer the Communist Manifesto literally over the Constitution. And yeah. you wonder, how did we ever arrive at this point? Well, I think we arrived this way, way because uh, we've uh, government schools basically have for years now promoted these ideas, and unfortunately, it's coming to a, a to a, a nexus, a, a inflection point right now. I, I would be curious, Professor. You're there at the University of Houston, and I know your students are dedicated and committed to the work that they're doing with regard to space, space science, and space architecture. But uh, do you actually see this type of thing in your environment there? Well, as you say, my my students and they're principally graduate students, and they're very dedicated. They they're very dedicated to space and and, and goals and so on. So, so I don't. So there's very little visible politics in in, in my arena. Uh, but when I I also work with some undergraduates and so on 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 extreme environments, and I bring up the subject of of climate, and I bring up the subject of, you know, the influences of carbon dioxide or or, or, or understanding how energy systems work. And and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of terrifying that how little they know. They, you know, they, they, they hear the mantra about, the, you know, the climate being on fire and so on, and they they think that carbon dioxide is a dominant gas in the, you know, in the atmosphere, and they, they sort of imagine we get most of our power from wind and Solar. I mean, they're, they're about a, more than an order of magnitude off. They think as well. Gee, we must get thirty percent of our energy from wind and solar. We just do more of it. Well, no, it's it's three percent. Mm-hmm. Wind is less than one percent, and so on. We're gonna we're gonna change over and somehow replace eighty five percent of our fossil energy with with the three percent we get from wind and solar. We don't even really get that much, I don't think. But as I think, there's in the sense of Politization, I think, I think it it does affect it on the policy understanding level, where all of these uh, these mantras and propaganda is really driven, used to drive policies, mm-hmm. and that's where I see the impact. Not so much a voting issue; it's just a lack of understanding of proportionality of anything that's real. They think that you know extreme weather is happening more frequently. Well, of course, it's not. It's Affecting more people because we have denser populations in coastal areas and so on. Yeah, but I, I think there is a, a, a broad, mis, you know, lack of understanding of just fundamentals that uh, that the mainstream media will simply not correct. In fact, they they keep uh, literally. Fanning the flames. Fanning the flames, indeed. I, quite, I have a, a scientist on, on my show on occasion who, she is extremely bright, and she's written a couple of books, very interesting books. One is called Oceans. In any event, uh, she the only thing that, she, when she talks about science, it's so curious to me. She always expresses, you know, this is something that we're working on. This is what we think we're discovering right now. The only thing she's sure about is climate change. <laughs> it, it is now proven science, you know. The discussion is over. It's, uh, well, I'd agree with it. I think it's been changing for a billion years. Yeah, it's, it, it certainly has been changing, but certainly not for the reasons that uh, she's purporting. So, or, or maybe you know, again, the science is is open. We have to have, continue the discussion, but 
Professor, I just genuinely appreciate it. I'm looking forward to your column on uh, the 1619 Project, too. I, uh, maybe we can have that discussion next week. Again, the name of the book is How Everything Happened, Including Us, Professor Larry Bell. Genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you again. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I always appreciate your comments. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I send out a newsletter each day after the show, and if you'd like to receive it, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. Tomorrow, we're going to be visiting with Keith Floff, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, Michael Cannon. We're going to continue our discussion about health care in America. He's from the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of this government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.